All right, gentlemen, are we prepared? Are we ready? Roll for initiative. I don't have my dice. Too bad. And there was some music. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of Geek Fanthology. I am your host, Neil Cordray, and I'm joined this week by... The one true Ben. And... Mike. And today we are going to talk about game mastery, dungeon mastery, storytelling, being the marshal, take your pick. Um, being the judge, lore mastering, etc. All the things. I don't know what, what what systems are being the judge and lore mastering. Marvel Heroes and uh, and um, Adventures in Middle Earth. Okay, thank you. Because uh, I I mentioned D and D, World of Darkness, um, Deadlands. And uh, then game mastery is just sort of well, a think, catch-all when, term. When D and D was in its infancy, like original D and D, they called it either a judge or a referee. Yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, about running uh, running a game. We're going to talk uh, in like here are things that we have done. Here are things that uh, that have worked. Here are things that have not worked. We'll give kind of an overview. Uh, but first, bad plans. Yes. <laughs> but first, of course, there is always signal boosts. And I always go last, so why don't you go first? Oh, God, we didn't even talk about this. I will jump in. Mike has something. (laughs) I have uh, episode-appropriate boosts here. Um, There is a a series of uh, short videos on Geek & Sundry called GM Tips. And um, initially it was with Matt Mercer of Critical Role fame, and then uh, the torch was passed to Satine Phoenix. And uh, she had on a bunch of guests uh, throughout her run of it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff, uh, a lot of good tips and uh, advice and different perspectives and stuff. But uh, so it's entertaining just in, in, its, in its own right, even if you just play. But if you're looking for some good advice uh, as a GM or DM, then I highly recommend that. I know some of the early uh, Matt Mercer episodes, like I still kind of, you know, um, take some of those tips to heart today as far as like, building interesting encounters and um, being able to like quickly come up with the NPC um, stuff like that. Um, So just to give you a quick example here, kind of uh, tease it a little bit. One of the tips that Mercer mentioned was um, for just quick NPCs that you aren't spending much time on uh, that just, you know, they may just be kind of a brief extra that shows up. Obviously, you know, you have their general name and appearance, but then you also have um, what they, um, what they want and what they fear in general, just in life in general. So if you have those two base motivations, it can be really uh, helpful to like have someone who seems very fleshed out, even though you didn't spend much time and effort in doing so. So let's say, for example, you have a bartender NPC. Uh, that's you know we have Joe Blow, the the bartender NPC, who's uh, you know balding human man in his forties. Uh, what he wants is his business to do uh, is for his business to take off as it's a fairly new bar. What he fears is the debt collectors that he's uh, that he's up to his eyeballs in debt to come around and uh, threaten that or break his legs or whatever. Also those, two things, those two things are <laughs> those two things are connected, obviously. So just there, right there, you could have someone the the PC a character player character comes up to him and how he reacts to something could be um, colored by that. So he could be very desperate for um, extra money. So you know he could be. Uh, he could be trying to, um, you know, push the more expensive items, or he could be working extra hard to get a good tip or whatever. Um, and then because of what he feared, if the NPCs, or excuse me, the PCs looked a certain way, if they looked kind of like 
rough types that might be somebody coming by. He, you know, like if you had some kind of roguish or overly strong PC, maybe he's intimidated or a little bit shy because he thinks that they may be involved with said people who might be coming by to break his legs. So just to give you a quick example there, that's something, you know, on the fly that can be very useful. And then the other boost would be uh, another Matt, uh, as it as it happens. Um, Matt Colville, uh, running his Running the Game YouTube series is really interesting and has a lot of good material there. And he goes into more, those are longer videos and goes more in depth about stuff. And he has, it goes from the very beginning of just the basics of like, so you want to be a game master kind of stuff, all the way up to like, more involved in counter building and like setting specific stuff and just all sorts of interesting stuff. So those are both very solid. The, uh, the mats akimbo. Akimbo mats. Ben, you got anything? Uh, yeah, actually one that I use quite a bit as a writer. Um, and I've been using a lot this week. Um, I want to go with, um, Oh God, what's it? Fantasy name generator.com. Mm-hmm. All kinds of good stuff there, including stuff you wouldn't even would not even think of. I mean, you've got uh, bars, things like that, um, bar names, wizard names, um, you know, and real not fantasy name generator dot com. It's fantasy name generators dot com. Uh, I just go by. I just go with my link. I just start typing fantasy generator dot com. Uh, is apparently a domain that we could buy. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Another quick shout out. Um, there's a uh, there's a pay what you want PDF on dmsguild.com. And that's DMS Guild, just to clarify the address for people. Um, that that's a D and D specific site, but uh, any kind of vaguely fantasy thing could use the uh, the names that are in this doc in this book. Uh, it was not really a book, you know. It's just a little, you know, like ten page deal or whatever. But basically, it's over a thousand names that sound vaguely fantasy esque that you can use in your D and D Pathfinder type games, and, uh, and then it has a section there at the end for not just people names, but like inns and casinos and ship names and stuff like that and also sells a small pamphlet of 10 names that you can pick up that you can pick up off the fly yes i have uh, my 10 yeah my 10 name list i sure do that you can that you can purchase the next time that there's a con in 2030 <laughs> and that's something i always recommend for uh, for gms is to always have a little short list of uh, of a first name and a last name it's a male name and a first name and a last name that's a female name. Now, obviously, some names they're gonna, you know, they're right. gonna be like Kelly or whatever. Like they're names that could be man or woman, but just to have that, just to have all that sheer amount of names and you can mix and match, uh, mm-hmm. just having that is so useful because it's something that will never not happen when you have exactly. an NPC just suddenly get interacted with you with, and you're like, oh shit, I don't have a name for that person. Uh, uh, yeah, here's that's his name. So sure. many names during my session one of of. Uh, of a uh, hunter this last Monday. Cause I, I actually, I pulled the entire session completely out of my ass. Um, but you know, it's fun. Um, uh, my, uh, my, my big signal boost for, uh, for this, uh, for, for this episode is, um, myself. Um, I have uh, begun streaming, uh, my video game playing experiences. At twitch.tv slash ringitonblue. Um, please come and give my channel a follow, even if you aren't like even if you if I if I don't seem to be playing games that you enjoy, a follow would really help just by uh helping to uh build the algorithm. Kind of like how we keep begging you to like and subscribe on uh on YouTube and 
rate us on iTunes and Spotify and all those things. Even yeah, if you, you listen regularly, games. you can suggest games that he should try. Yeah. He's not currently playing stuff that you're interested in. This is true. Um, I have been playing a lot of Path of Exile on there. I've also been playing some Enter the Gungeon. I fully intend to stream Cyberpunk 2077 when it comes out. Um, which they, which CD Projekt, I do have a little bit of actual like news. CD Projekt Red has um, released the official system requirements for the game finally, um, and my game has, and my and my rig has the recommended system regs. Rex, so I am happy. <laughs> I was a little worried, honestly, because like the Witcher, um, the, the Witcher games, um, like they had some redang dong ridiculous um, uh, system racks. Um, and so the fact that my computer is good enough to run another CD Projekt Red game that honestly looks more graphically intensive than, say, The Witcher 3. I just think that's a great like metric for your system. It's like, can it run... Can it run the latest CD Projekt Red game well? Like that's the <laughs> that's the main criteria. Well, do you remember? Uh, do you remember the 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 game that was the benchmark game for the longest time? Crisis. That's right. Mm-hmm. Does it run Crisis? And they remastered Crisis recently. So now there's the question of can it run Crisis remastered? <laughs> Redux. Deja vu all over again. <laughs> um. But yeah, my my signal boost is um my is myself. Um, tell me that you found me thanks to my podcast. Because I, I always introduce that. Myself. Yeah. In anyone, in, in, any anywhere that you find, like anyone that we that we recommend to you, please let them know we sent you because that helps us to uh, that helps us to gorilla market. Because you know we've been needing to market those gorillas. Yeah, the, the, I've got I've got a bunch of them in my back closet, and it's they're just. They just aren't go. I just can't move them. I know nobody wants apes. You, you can get rid of, but gorillas? No, not a yeah. Bit. Sometimes you just can't get rid of a gorilla. <laughs> that reminds me. Can you see the? Do you see my uh, the icon that I have for my? Uh, oh yeah, your Discord avatar. Yeah, my Discord avatar yeah, is great mashup. I love it, it. Is is that Batman holding a bomb over Heath Ledger Joker's head? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> huh. All right. So, game slash story mastery. Don't forget the spoiler of the Fortnite. Oh yes, the spoiler. Well, obviously, um, rocks fall. Everybody dies. Wah, wah, wah. I still have I still have this meme story idea in my head of like a one off uh, where everybody's playing paladins and they have to kill a celestial good aligned griffin at some point. Or not Griffin, but uh, Rock. So I can say Rock dies, everybody falls. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, but I it's know terrible. it is. It's, good. it's a horrible pun, but it's a uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun terrible pun. Sniffles. So GMing our styles. Aren't yep. We? There are a few. There there are a few different sort of approaches that one can adopt primarily uh when dming now the best thing you can do is really find a a happy balance but the three primary styles that that you that i can think of and chime in other guys if if you can think of anything else is uh essentially heavy hardcore planning like you got everything plotted out from beat to beat um 
outlining. So you've got you've got general ideas of what you want to have happen, and you've got pantsing it, which is just which is just kind of just making shit up as you go. See, I would argue that no matter uh, whether you take the planning approach or the outlining approach, that there you're going to have a good amount of pantsing it along yeah. the fact that's just part of the gig. Right. There's, the, it there, is going to happen. Yeah, there's there's the old saying that uh no no uh no plan ever survives first contact with the enemy. Right. The plan is the um, first casualty. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's true. No no good plot ever survives first contact with the players. See, this is why I'm a big adv- I'm I'm a big advocate of the outlining because I feel mm-hmm. like if you do too much specific planning, you're just going to have to scrap you know, a lot of that anyway. Mm-hmm. And now granted it could still be good material later on, but you, you know, it could be a while before you, yeah. know, you get to use that material. So it's, yeah, I try to, mm-hmm. I, I tend to go on the outlining. Um, Being heavily plotted was actually the big, was, was actually the big mistake that I made in the last game I ran before the one I'm running right now. I, I had things that needed to happen. And so I put my party on a railroad and uh, it didn't work out very well for pretty much anyone. Um, it, well, uh, one thing is, um, if you know, it's like you enjoy like having a lot of specifics and like writing things and planning yeah. things out. Like my advice would be, by all means, go ahead and do that, but just do that as like as on the macro level, on the world mm-hmm. or the city or whatever the setting is for the game you're playing. So, like, if mm-hmm. you're playing D and D in a custom world, you could be like, okay, well, this is how my world is. And I know that these general events are happening now. Players have agency, and they could change those events potentially. But like, yeah. if if they are not affected, this is what will happen next month, next year, and ten years, etc. So then yep. you can still like have good stuff that can come up, but it won't be anything that you feel you have to like manipulate your characters into doing a thing or not doing a thing. You know, right? Or if it's on a smaller scale, mm-hmm. like say you're playing a, a World of Darkness game in Chicago, you're like, all right, well, this is what Chicago politics are like amongst the mortals and amongst the supernatural creatures and blah 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 and like this is kind of how things are going and then Mm -hmm. things may change based on the players but this is how it's happening so then that way you don't feel like you're unprepared but at the same time you're not wasting all that effort yeah exactly well and with that knowing your uh knowing your your uh your setting you have a powerful means of improvising because uh, and this is kind of how a lot of my games end up working out uh like my hero games and my you know in some of my uh uh my my D games when you do things other things in the world react and i think that's a big thing that a lot of gms let their players get away with stuff right uh, you know is oh well we're just going to kill the city guard and nothing happens you know, but no, you kill the city guard, everyone in the city. Oh, but we're more powerful than the city guard. Yeah, no, that doesn't, you know, doesn't work that way. Um, because then you have, you know, um, I've had, I've had paladins fall, uh, because they were not lawful good. They were not doing their gods, you know, their gods work. So you got to know what, you know, and I think that raises a good, you know, good point, Mike, uh, going back to Matt's, Matt Mercer's, um, you know, know what your, what your NPCs want and fear. Right. Know, know how you're going to impact the, uh, the, you know, how your players might impact the world around them. Because uh, you have a general idea, you know, if you know kind of who's doing what, who wants what, then look at, you know, how, how are these characters gonna, go, going to impact that? Mm-hmm. Now, Consequences, both good and bad, I think, is what it boils down to. You want to have your characters have consequences. And the thing about it is, like, 
you know, a player may not think that they want like a ostensibly bad thing or a challenge to happen to the character, but deep down that is what they want. Because if that doesn't happen, then the game gets boring and unchallenging. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you got, you got to not just challenge them, but you got, sometimes you have to, um, you have to actually kind of hurt them. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta have bad things happen to them sometimes that are not their fault or that they are, there are their fault. But you know, I mean, it, it just well here's the thing right is if if you have um you know obviously every group is going to have their own level of like how how much and how intense the art the role playing is but like if you have people that are fairly into the role playing if you don't like if if negative things consequences like if those things don't happen to their characters then it's going to be really difficult for them to really inhabit that character because it's it's inherently unrealistic they just know and feel that something's off instinctively if not you know if not consciously mm-hmm. you know exactly well it's like oh hey i'm a superhero and i can do no wrong and nothing ever happens you know it's like okay well that's boring and uh and unrealistic and and i well i i guess i should say like i don't know like when i come when it comes to realism like i just mean within the context of that world right because obviously yeah, right. there's not anything realistic about being a literal superhero or being a D adventurer that can like cut down a whole horde of goblins or whatever the case may but be you can't do like, that realistic for that world you know right well and, and that goes that goes back to a writing uh thing of mine people will accept the impossible players will you know will just will thrive on the impossible magic su- being a superhero um, you know, any of a number of things like that, but the improbable, they will reject outright. It's, uh, the old, it's the old, uh, saying that, uh, that has been erroneous, almost definitely erroneously, um, uh, attributed to, uh, Socrates, a probable, Im- uh, a, uh, it's a probable impossibility is preferable to an improbable, uh, possibility. Yeah. Yeah, and it just comes down to does it make or something sense? like that. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> it comes down basically to does it make sense, you know, to the players? Can mm-hmm. they can they wrap their wee heads around it? Um, it's uh, it is it, it is important. Also, uh, there there are a couple things you definitely want to remember. Um, you are not the, the players as the storyteller, as the game as the game master. The the characters are not your enemy. Exactly. It is. It is a good game a good role playing game is a game of cooperative storytelling you have the outline to the plot of the story but you're but you're not but you're not writing the characters your your players are um so remember like it, it's important to remember like god bless gary gygax for many things but he had an adversarial uh, relationship with with his players he tried to kill them that unless that is the game that your players have signed up for that is not yeah the right I mean, like, it's all and, about what the expectations are yeah, like also there's a few exceptions your, your audience yeah like yeah. if yeah. if if you if your players want to run a want, want to play in a meat grinder game then do that like there's nothing wrong with with that with a meat grinder game just right. it you like that it has to it has to be understood there there has to be um there has to be um you know cooperation and acceptance of, of, of whatever the situation is. Right. That has to be part of the agreed upon uh, structure. Yeah. Cause you could have like, you could have a game that is more hack and slash or it's all out hack and slash. And if that's what the people want, then great. And they're all doing the same thing and getting what they mm-hmm. want out of it. Then that's great. Um, but you know, um, there's still, there, there's still, you know, um, 
many important things as far as game mastering goes for that as well. It's not just all about the role-playing side of things. So like, you know, mm-hmm. for example, if you are doing a heavily combat-based game, then first of all, you better know the rules inside and out because you're going to be you're going to be referencing them constantly and you want Oh, yes, indeed. You don't want you don't want combat to get bogged down because people have to look things up or you have to look things up or whatever. And granted mm-hmm. some of that falls on the players, they need to know their abilities and know their characters and everything, but like, you know, as far as like you know, the the final word on everything, regardless of the type of game, falls on the GM. So you're going to have to either, you know, ideally know the rule, or at the very least, make a quick ruling and then look it up later and keep the game yeah. moving. That's one of the right. most core tips that I stressed everyone is make a call, be fair as you can, keep it moving, worry about, you know, worry about it later. Don't yeah. get bogged down, because then everyone, the, the majority of people may not necessarily care what the rule is. They're just there having fun. And then you have to stop everything and like waste five minutes or whatever it is figuring out the thing when most people would just be fine just coming up with whatever your ruling is on the fly and then worrying about that later. Right. Mm -hmm. And as the GM, you can always make a, you know, you can always drop a reason for the ruling later. You can come up with, because that's, I mean, that's a good way to come up with story hooks too. It's like, oh, because Mm -hmm. this thing happened, you know, uh, unintended consequences, um, you know, always nice. Right. And that would be another quick just tip off the top of my head is um, if you, you know, even if it's something that's born out of a mistake, like, you know, like you made the wrong call on something or misremembered a detail Mm -hmm. uh, as a GM, you can turn that into something later. You can be like, okay, well, I'll just tweak this and then that'll make this kind of turn out. And in many of the cases, um, the players, you know, assuming you have a decent poker face, whatever, the players will never know you fucked up. They just won't know. And it can actually turn into something interesting later, you know, like that's the thing is like, don't beat yourself up if you make a mistake. Cause it's not really, if you make a mistake, it's when you make a mistake. That's so, true. you know, they just be mm-hmm. like, all right, well you learn from it. Sure. But at the same time mm-hmm. be like, all right, well, because I did this, this is an opportunity to do this and this. So then you just have something change. So, you know, if you forget something about a character, get something wrong, whatever, you can just tweak that a bit and then just have it work yeah. out. And that's the beauty of it is, uh, if you're good at uh, holding the cards close to your chest, people won't know the difference. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and truth be told, I mean, it's one of those things you can, um, you can, like I said, turn, yeah, like you mentioned, turn that into gold, into storytelling gold. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, that's because he had this thing. <laughs> yes. Now the players want it. Um, maybe, but, a, maybe a character, like you played the character different than your notes said that he or she was. But then you're like, all right, well, they were acting weird because of A, B, and C, because this was going on in their life, or this had just happened, or whatever, you know? Or they were really a Doombot. Yeah, you know. Or this was, yeah, or this was all their plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> because, and that's, that's the thing about being the GM. Um, you can also, you know, the story to go in a specific direction, uh, or if the story's stalling, you need to go in any direction whatsoever. Um, you know, don't be afraid to fudge facts a little bit to yeah. move things. You know, um, in one of the first games I ran under Pathfinder, um, I did not know... Um, you know, I, I was, I got caught by surprise by my players because they, you know, here I am the first time I've run Pathfinder and they have all these, you know, ins and outs of the rules. So they learned pretty quickly. Yes, I will sometimes fudge the rules. Mm-hmm. Now, if I fudge a rule so that you can't use your power to simply cleave the big bad guy in half with one blow of your mighty sword, you know, I'm going to, I'm, there's going to be a trade-off. And that's the thing as a GM, I think you, we have to understand too. Sometimes 
things aren't going to work out for the players. And sometimes you got to go, all right, you know, I'm going to do this thing because it needs to happen mm-hmm. uh, to balance the game. You know, I'm going to offer, you know, I'm going to offer um, inspiration or, you know, or this other thing happens because of that balance it but don't and this is this is another thing that as a as a gm um i've learned i've learned don't be afraid to sometimes let the players get screwed or screw the players on you know on their behalf because weirdly enough when you do it right if you do it without haha i'm the gm more along the lines of this is the thing that your character has secretly feared they love you for it well the holy grail of it is when it's is when you can tie it to specific actions or words that the characters did or uttered you know exactly like so, uh, with with Ronan running Marvel heroes and like having the you know having the various character backstories come up and bite them on the ass. Uh, you wouldn't have you wouldn't know anything about that or would things you, like? that they had to do with it. Yeah, I mean you know <laughs> like uh, you know Wookie had that character who had a background with the mob and then that just mm-hmm. kept being a thing. Exactly. Well, and and see, this is one of the reasons why I'd, I'd love to I'd love to have Ronan here sometime when we do when we do one of these because my God, the man has tricks. I, I've learned a lot of my stuff from him. Uh, so I wanted to kind of see about going into something a little different with this. Um, some of my GMing tips, um, if I you know if I had a a pet peeve, um, you know, five minute thing that I could you know that I, I I would recommend. I don't know if we're there yet or you know. No, uh, I, I've barely been in this episode, so just keep keep doing what you're doing, guys. I'm I'm fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is something this this is something I learned from Ronan, uh, in terms of how to start a game. Um, I, I try not to go. All right, you are here doing this very specific thing. Um, it's one of my pet peeves from g- certain GMs. Uh, you know, uh, one of the ones that that has just you know, it was like, and, and the GM found out really quick that I, that I didn't like it that way because it's like, you're in the office doing paperwork. What? No, my character doesn't do that, uh, you know, or my character doesn't just randomly, randomly do that. I need a reason to be there. Um, it was also, he could re- also, also he could introduce a specific NPC. Um, I will start a lot of games by with, uh, and both, I think both of you uh, um, have seen me do this is, you know, it's X, t- it's X time of day on a you know on a uh, on a tuesday where would your character be what would they be doing at this time on this day mm-hmm. because what I, it uh yeah no, keep, keep going I'll, I'll 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 add my thing after you're done all right because what that tends to do is it makes the player think about that very thing what would my character be doing at this time of day what is mm-hmm. my character's life like uh you know on a on a micro level just in this one specific slice. Um, and if I need them to be somewhere, I will get them there from mm-hmm. there. If I need them to be in an office doing paperwork, that's when the phone call comes. That's when, you know, when something else happens, but it lets them mm-hmm. react to it as opposed to, Oh, here I am doing the thing like a puppet. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can do a little bit of, and, and what I was going to say is you can do, you can you can say okay what are you doing but you can also set a scene like um this is this is something that i did um just i i just ran session one of my world of darkness hunter the vigil king um on monday okay and so i'm going to be pulling a little bit from that and what i did was um i i had all my all my players write me a small backstory 
So I knew. So they knew what, what about their their characters, and um, and I knew about them uh, because you know I, I got to read it. So I set up a situation where all of their characters would naturally be in the same general area, which in this case was a college campus during a campus-wide party. But aside from that, I said, okay, starting with you, where are you for this party and what are you doing? And then I went on to the next person and the next person. So I did I did have to, to start them a little bit in, okay, you are at this place, but what are you doing at this place? It, which is something that is that that will frequently work uh, if you want if you want to pull something like that. Right. I think it kind of depends on the uh, <clears throat> the nature of the game a lot. You know. In this particular case, where it's in gonna... this yeah, in this particular case, in this uh, in this game, there had to be some form of plot contrivance for the characters to ever meet. Right. Right. Um, because there, otherwise, there's there would be literally no reason to do that. So what I did was I kidnapped a loved one of each one of them. So we've seen uh, in in uh, the first season of New Essex Nights, um, Ronan actually managed to get everybody together uh, <laughs> with uh, in in a diner, um, and it was all very apparently very random, but it worked. I mean, if I recall right, Mike, you were there to capture one of the other players. Yeah, um, that's actually one of the things I was going to bring up myself, Ben. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Because, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, we, we're going to touch on some of our, like, experiences or whatever. And that's actually something I had down in my notes is, like, for us to all kind of give one of our one of our favorite experiences GMing and then one of our favorite experiences as a player and, like, marveling at someone's GMing skill and be like, wow, that's friggin' awesome. And this is my example as a player marveling at someone's GMing skill. Yeah. Because um, um, basically, um, <clears throat> in the beginning of that uh, of this Marvel Heroes campaign, um, I had uh, I actually you, you know the character because I I had him for the uh, one shot or two shot or whatever you want to call it. That was the kind of the Suicide Squad esque thing that we did. Uh, Eagle, who's kind of like a um, kind of like a dead shot bullseye combo. Um, mm-hmm like expert marksman, um, mainly tech, tech-based tech um, villain who kind of turns anti-hero uh, in this. Uh, so anyway, um, we had we had a, um, I mean, we had like several players and they all were very like different in doing their own thing. And he just expertly wove all this crazy shit together and throughout the course of a session took uh, like six different, I think it was six different characters um, and managed to basically have them in the same situation and or uh, in proximity with one another. And um, it was just particularly <laughs> interesting because um, one of the other players turned out to be my latest job. I was supposed to um, capture or kill them, but preferably capture them. Um, so like, you know, he had a multi-million dollar contract to capture another player. And so that's what I was doing is I was stalking another player <laughs> and right. it just, uh, it just really was amazing how it all kind of came together. And, um, that's another thing too, is, um, another thing that's important to keep in mind as a, um, as a GM is, um, being able to balance, um, different players as far as like 
making sure everyone has their turn in the spotlight and, you know, not uh, spending too much time on a mm-hmm. particular character over another, especially if, you know, if you have a situation like that where the, the party group is wh- whatever is split up due to circumstances or yeah. due to it being, being the very beginning of a, of a campaign. That was a, that was a pitfall that I wanted to mention because it's one that I've, uh, that I have fallen into, which is, uh, which is playing favorites or even worse, having someone, having, having a, a player or a character that you specifically dislike um, that is something you ab- badly need to avoid and try to recognize if it is something you are doing. Yeah, that is a that is a tough one to get uh, to get past too. I think a lot of it comes down to just communication between like the GM and the players. So like first of all, if you're just you don't even have a group together yet, if right. you just have a, if you're a GM looking for players, you're a player looking for a group. Like you have to make sure everyone's on the same page as far as like you know what they want out of the game and stuff, what their expectations are and everything. And then when you are together, like, and you're starting a game, uh, you want to, you know, you want to have people like give feedback to, to you as a GM and like, just kind of have a, you know, have some, uh, some, you know, basically have open communication and be able to kind of like mm-hmm. tweak things as they go. Cause you may have, you know, a game that's like people are having fun and it, there's nothing wrong with it, but like it could be better. And if people don't really speak up or like solicit the feedback on the other end of things, then, you know, it's a lot of missed opportunity. Cause if someone was like, Oh, okay. I didn't realize that like my players wanted to like do more exploration in the game or whatever, or you know, I, oh, I didn't realize they wanted to have, like, they wanted to be more um, involved in, like, the intricate political stuff or whatever. They, I didn't know that they, they hadn't had a fight in a while, so they're bored and they wanted a cool fight. Like, if you don't know, if you don't get the specific feedback, it's hard to know, like, where to go with your campaign. And that's exactly. the thing is, you may have something, you may have something in mind, but, like, at the end of the day, you want it to be within reason. You want it to be whatever it is your players want it to be, you know? Like you don't have to compromise your vision for the world or whatever, but like the style, like how you tell that story, it could be the same story, but how you tell the story is the thing, you know? So you want to make sure you're on the same page with players. Yeah. And sometimes your players will tell you uh, in the middle of the game, because sometimes if you do it right, uh, you know, you'll end up, they will end up going in directions even they didn't, didn't uh, anticipate. Right. You know, um, so along those lines, I think one of the mo- two, I have two very memorable stories uh, along those lines where I was marveling it at, uh, you know, uh, at a GME or it was a GME experience. And I ended up marveling at my players. Uh, both of them were in the same campaign. Uh, and Wookiee was in this, uh, was this, was in this one, as was Becca. Uh, the first was uh, the Heroes of Longbow Dale, uh, where I throw them into this this uh, beleaguered town that is, you know, I mean, I just blew up a kingdom, and uh, you know, they're they're coming into this town and they're seeing these refugees and they've just been fighting monsters are new to the world, and you know, one of them actually, uh, you know, ends up getting cursed to become like one of the monsters, but they get into this town. And I'm just setting flavor, you know, it's like they're wounded, there are people, you know, you know, they're trying to take care of them. And suddenly the party goes into full on, we must rescue the town mode, use, end up using all of their healing potions, all of their spells, um, everything, and then using their skills, uh, you know, the bard in the party uh, ends up, you know, who was the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, you know, the most casual you know just a bard in in the truest sense 
and basically ends up leading Where bedside manner is a double entendre. Exactly. But ends up, you know, leading all of the troubadours from, uh, you know, from this, uh, this caravan of, of, uh, ro- you know, of road people, uh, throughout the town playing until his fingers bleed, you know, the barbarian banging on the door of the temple of the healing goddess, uh, you know, because by, you know, by the gods, why aren't you fixing this? Just suddenly these, these adventurers are becoming heroes right in front of me because they look at the situation and they take responsibility for it. Um, same group later on. Uh, and, uh, I know both of you have heard, th- heard this phrase. We don't talk about dwarves foot. Uh, <laughs> uh, when, uh, basically they go into this, uh, into this darkened section of the town and, I threw something at them that th- this these particular players had never seen before. Basically, enemies who did not fight to the death. Um, they would come in, they would attack, and they would run off into the darkness. And they were using light crossbows, so they didn't have to be up close. And the party basically just kind of bunches in because uh, at one point, one of them got swarmed. The paladin, thinking, oh, I'm a big badass gets down to almost unconscious because he's off by himself and nobody can get to him in time. By the time they get to him, everybody's left. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, and so at the end of it, all this was done in darkness. All they had was torchlight. Um, and then at the end of it, what they found was that they weren't fighting monsters per se. They were fighting, um, they were fighting, basically dwarves uh from the town women children you know males uh that had been transformed by the you know by the evil magic into dark you know the dwergar um and they role played having a phobia of darkness i did not have to make them roll it they the players themselves had their characters role play they would not be in any place dark um you know one of them uh would always, you know, basically was constantly casting a light spell. Um, and basically it ended up making it so that his blade was enchanted to all, you know, to, but this was, you know, basically I threw something that was that that was different. It was tactically strange. They were off, off balance, you know, all the way through. And by the end of it, you know, they were messed up and they loved it. And both of those examples you gave illustrate player buy-in, and sometimes you don't have that level of buy-in. It's yeah. great when you do, and that leads to what's so some of those really memorable things, like you said. And right. It goes to show that it's you know it's it's equally like the players have an equal, in my opinion, the players have an equal responsibility in like crafting the story and the memorableness of everything. Is right. Because you have the most amazing GM in the world, but. If you have players that like aren't paying attention or aren't willing to role play at all or whatever, then it mm-hmm. just becomes this thing becomes this thing where someone's just you're just talking words at people and you're just narrating. Right. It's not interactive. So it's an exactly. important thing to remember is that players have to step up to the plate too to really have that. And also the thing is the more the players are engaged, like the more you have to work with and riff off of as a GM. So you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna make them like they're gonna make you better and you're gonna make them better. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Ronan has pulled a lot of these on me. I, you know, in a situation where my character is practically invulnerable and all the bad guy has is a needle. Um, but I'm scared. The other player in the room is scared. You know, we don't know what's going to go on. Um, and where we had a player who was going to in game, uh, in a Marvel superheroes game, uh, break up with his in game girlfriend and Ronan works it around so that he ends up proposing to her. So all right, Neil, what you got? Uh, yeah, lay some stuff on us. I've been trying to think, but honestly, I've been kind of in uh, just been really enjoying listening to your stories. Um, 
my problem is like I've while I have played a lot, mm-hmm. um, I've pretty much played consistency consistently with about three DMs for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. My brother, my friend Kevin, and you guys. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, one thing that one thing that I that I actually like find memorable from from uh, from a gameplay perspective was in the hunter game that you were running mike um where after you know where my role play etc had made you decide i think i want to make him a werewolf like because that had never been in that, that had never been a plan of mine right uh, <laughs> i just you know i made a kid full of rage and then you were like you know we, we could we could do something with this <laughs> Yeah, just kind of it felt like a kind of an organic progression, and I like yeah. the idea of because that's a that's one of the themes that is um, consistent in Hunter the Vigil games, um, or just you know any any version of you know you're a group of people hunting monsters really um, is you know like a monster I am lest a monster I become and like you know yep. like who's the real monster and like how do you not be what you're hunting and all this stuff. And then like, if you do have something that's outside of your control like that, where you are like on paper, a monster or monster adjacent, like how do you deal with that? And like, do you try to keep it secret? Do you fess up to it? Like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it gets interesting fast seeing how wear those who fight, who, uh, who fight monsters, lest they become one. Yeah, exactly. What I think that particular game had uh, and that's i think a lot of that was you know your flexibility but also again player buy-in uh mm-hmm. had a lot of the most memorable lines <laughs> i yeah, still re- I, I still regularly say to myself step one is pants step one <laughs> is pants yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i enjoyed um i enjoyed making the little notes for you about like all the weird things that your character was experiencing to the lead up to when they officially um i forgot what the term is the first, first change. change i think yeah that's it it's just called the first change mm-hmm. yeah so you know like your your sense of time going all weeby wobbly and like being extremely starving and like craving things like that you'd never craved before raw meat like yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like the scene from Rocky. Only you want to just devour it instead of punch it. Mm-hmm. Either that, or I'm turning into a rigaroo in uh, in Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, I you know, and, and the, the the funny thing about that particular game, you know, the way that ended up working was we had such, like I said, such strong buy-in. I mean, you know, and mm-hmm. of course, I think I, I still love the line. You know, it's like no more secrets. I regularly kill people for money. <laughs> That's how I routinely kill people for money. Yeah, the timing and deadpan delivery of that was <laughs> like to this day we still occasionally bring that up. That's right. fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say I I loved how I how I did manage to keep Billy in the dark for like what was it three months? Oh, yeah, that I was, was like, a werewolf. That was a game within a game. Like, <laughs> I, I just love conspiring right. with you guys, big. All right, well, let's let's try to avoid any kind of table talk that would reveal that. Oh, and that was the best part of it too, is that like, I when I um when I, that was when I first um brought Billy in, uh, and that was the beginning of, of gaming with Billy, and I when I worked with him for his character background, like mm-hmm. he had some he had some you know some outlines, some broad outline stuff, but there were some specifics they didn't necessarily have nailed down, and, and I just kind of nudged him in a direction. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, maybe uh, maybe you're hunting werewolves. Uh, maybe something didn't go so well. <laughs> so I just kind of set those pieces into motion 
and then just like you know just like took a step back and watched it unfold so that was that was amazing <laughs> yeah watch watch billy you know go go uh turn into yeah because and and that was i mean of course I, I still have my you know my iconic line that i still love to this day there was a fire <laughs> there was a fire and <laughs> i yeah and even though it was perhaps cliche i was also quite fond of bless us father for we are about to sin <laughs> yeah. <lot>. <laughs> but yeah and the, and the weird thing about that game was that it, it really subverted a lot of things um you know and, and it was because we were playing non non-powered people fighting you know powered beings mm-hmm. uh you know we needed every advantage we we could get and the fights the fights you know had and i think that was a good example of you know knowing how the combat needed to go uh because the fights were you know were were um there were some stakes there you know we uh we were we were hurt a few times and mm-hmm. which was but it also there was that really funny dichotomy because um you know, your character had a thing against ki- killing, uh, you know, I did for a while. Doc McNinja did not like to kill. It was the nerdy book guy. That was, that was the trigger happy mofo. Well, that's the interesting thing about that too. Is oh, that what the hell guy? <laughs> <laughs> thing is, like he had to, he had to kind of like grow to like, make it somewhat palatable because if he didn't, he would just lose all control and be right. in scrum he knew that was inevitable because of what he was. So that was yeah. interesting seeing him kind of come to terms with that over time. Right. But you know, it was just, it was just sort of, cause I, I remember also, you know, everybody's like, okay, let's go in and talk. And guys like, Oh, fuck this, <laughs> you know, uh, for our first big fight. But well, that's also- the thing too, is uh, that, that brings me to another um, just random thought about, you know, um, GM tips. Uh, if you have a, you know, you have a player like that, who's like, Oh, they, you know, it, it turns out like, they were a werewolf because of their heritage or whatever, or they come across some powerful item or whatever it is. Like if somebody has a sudden spike in like power level or whatever you want to call it, you can use that to then make things more challenging, either just mm-hmm. for them or for the group. And it's like, you know, that's the thing is it's the whole all magic comes with a price kind of thing. Right. You know, right. It's like, Which... It sounds great. It's like, Oh, Hey, I'm like, you know, I have all, I'm, I'm super strong to have this regenerative power now, but it's like, okay, but you also inherit like a host of enemies that are constantly out to get you, you know? Yep. So it's like, you know, that's oh, exactly. the, that's another that's that's a thing that can be and um, you can't interact with your friends while while being super powerful without driving them insane. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, but you know, also we grew in that campaign. After a certain <laughs> point, you know, we were, you know, we were organically that tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we could handle him freaking out. We still had to make the role, but it was more and more likely that we would not freak out. I still love the idea of, you know, the big mercenary running, you know, running through the street, street screaming and guy having to get on his motorbike and chase him down like Terminator. Right. <laughs> you know, well, that's the thing. Too, his own is, motorcycle, uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> With his own bike, right? Well, the um, we were talking about, you know, talking earlier about how you can take a mistake and then like, you know, like turn it into something interesting or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're just looking at like sheer mechanics, like, oh, this magical item is too powerful or whatever. Like you can, you know, you can have uh things narratively happen that are both interesting and kind of like fix something if something mm-hmm. seems overpowered or underpowered you can just you know you can kind of 
You can give uh, it a drawback. Punches. Yeah, there can be a drawback that or curse or whatever that you didn't realize at first, or if, if something isn't quite powerful enough, then maybe it like awakens or whatever after it's been used enough or some event mm-hmm. happens or whatever. So you can kind of like tie in the narrative and the mechanical stuff as needed. And that's the thing is like right. it's important to remember like the narrative can help the mechanics and the mechanics can help the narrative. Like don't get too stuck on them being separate things or being like you know boxed in like just try to you know view it as kind of a playground for you to adjust as needed mm-hmm. now uh speaking of something else because i just got notification that uh, something you know something happened here uh another thing uh as gms that i have learned recently on the past uh is sometimes things ca- things happen uh we are in a and they happen outside of the scope of the game um, but we are, you know, we've done, I've done it where there are groups, you know, Facebook groups, your, you know, your members, your players are part of it. You post things that happen outside a game and suddenly, you know, if, if you're, if you have the player buy-in, uh, you know, then those things become interesting background things that your players should know. So just to clarify what you mean by that. You just mean like, like something like that your character is doing between the events of the sessions or like a journal or something like that. Right. Right. Or as the GM, um, you know, posting something that happens outside of game that is kind of like a, you know, that trailer at the end of the, you know, uh, you know, uh, like at the end of uh, Flash Gordon, you know, the end, you know, and then, you know, the question mark references once again, huh? (laughs) So been with the timely references once again, you're like, Oh yeah. You know, Flash Gordon. Yeah, you know, that, that that movie that came out not too long ago in the 80s. Hey, look, everyone, Ben made the old joke this time. Yeah. Hey, tomorrow. Actually, he makes first... it half the time. To yeah. Be fair. <laughs> <laughs> like a preemptive strike. Exactly. Well, speaking of which, tomorrow's my birthday. So, Ben, just, you know, I'm about to level up. There you go. So, but... Congratulations on another successful uh, lap around mm-hmm. the sun. Right. Although, uh, I got to say, you made it in worse time this year than last year. What the hell? I know, you know, uh, it's it's the leap year. Although yeah, actually, that's uh, not true, really. Like, just no, it actually is true. It's no. leap year. Yeah, well, no, but but okay, I'm like I leap year is just the way we we bullshit our way of uh, into say in, into a year isn't exactly 365 days. This is true. This right. is true. But yeah, I know it's the same exact around, uh, time around there. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, it's there we have a lot of tools now that back in my day we didn't have you know <laughs> right um you know. i mean my my hunter game is playing entirely on roll 20 because we're not meeting in person because are you kidding there's a pandemic right but uh, i would say um the, with the with the tools and tech and whatnot um like yeah don't i wouldn't do a thing just to do a thing but right. like at the same time there's all sorts of tools that can be super useful. Like, for mm-hmm. example, when I do when I run D and D, I use Cobalt Fight Club, and that thing is a godsend. Like, it's an encounter builder that does a lot of basically does all the mathing for you, and it has a great like list of stuff that you can filter. So, you don't, you know, like, I have the books, but it's a lot faster than like thumbing through the books and like using mm-hmm. these physical markers or whatever. You know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I'll still use the actual books, but like when I'm doing the initial encounter, then I've got all the references right there, the page numbers, it calculates the CR stuff. Like right. it, it takes a lot of the crunch out of out of the prep where I can still 
I can spend that time doing something else. So like, right. you know, I could have a, an encounter, like the base encounter of like, okay, how many creatures and what kind of creatures are they and stuff like that is done in a lot less time. And then I can use that time to like, say, customize the creatures or make more interesting things about the encounter. You know, I could have right. like terrain stuff or a timer or whatever the case may be. So yeah. I urge people to take advantage of all the tools out there because then that frees up the time to do things that are more interesting yeah. to kind of like build out the world or make the scenarios or encounters more interesting. Exactly. So as a GM, uh, as a, especially for hero games and uh, D&D games, I have learned a real nifty trick to start with. Uh, it involves, you know, some math and some note taking. Uh, but to start with, play like a supervillain. Um, you know, set your uh, set your encounters up to test to see what the players are going to do how much damage they do, how they react, how they fight. Don't make, you know, don't look to, don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to make the first initial encounters, this ass kicking, you know, uh, you know, uh, fight, you know, death match. Mm -hmm. What you're doing there is see what they roll routinely. If they're rolling, you know, I've got a plus eight, holy God, you know, um, but you know, if they're, uh, if they're, you know, routinely rolling low, you know, cause they don't have the pluses or if they're unloading, you know, just ungodly amounts of damage, um, you know, don't be afraid to mix and match your encounters, figure out what your players can do in that, in that scenario. Also know your players, mm. you know what they'll do. Um, I mean, there are, there are times when you play, if you play it right, you can, you can hook a player just by doing something that their character, that they as the player cannot resist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what that boils down to is pay attention, right? Yeah. Exactly. Cause that's the thing is like, and also, you know, don't, don't skimp on the prep because mm -hmm. if you, if you prep what you need to, you know, your outlines mm -hmm. or whatever and stuff, and you're confident in that, you don't feel unsure that you have to make up extra shit to just make the game just to survive the encounter to, or the session rather to make sure right. you have enough content. If you're secure in that, okay, I've got enough content here i've got enough stuff for at least a session or two then mm -hmm. you can spend well, your focus get watching your players mm -hmm. watching what they do watching how they fight watching how they react how what the relationships are like what the characters are doing the trends like mm -hmm. you can pay so much more attention to everything going on and also by the way enjoy it more because you're in the moment not stressing out about what to do next um exactly. then you can really uh you can really fire in all cylinders about what Ben's talking about, about yeah. reacting to like, okay, what's their style of play? Like what kind of challenge can they handle in a fight? Like what, what does the character look like they want? Like how's the player, what does the player want? You know, like exactly. you can really, you can really be a lot more observant when you're confident in having the stuff already mm -hmm. go. Exactly. And a, a, uh, a tip um, that I, I, I get other, uh, there's something I actually wanted to say a little bit earlier, but I just, I needed, I wanted to squeeze it in. If you find that your players are getting too far afield of, uh, of your story, mm -hmm. um, like if, if they've spent, you know, three months, if they've spent three sessions, uh, trying to investigate this thing that you really didn't in plan on the investigation on, um, there are two things you can do. One is just change your story so it's about that. Um, but if that's not something that like that will work for your for your situation, there's a there's a piece of advice that I was given a long time ago, which which goes like this: steal someone's boots. 
Um, because if you if if you invade the sanctity of your players, they will they will move heaven and earth to um to get back at 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 whoever did the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So well, if um, you really need them to stop doing this thing so that the story can progress and you can't just make the story about the thing they're doing, just steal their boots. Well, and that's what's funny is that nine times out of ten, they'll thank you for it because then it will lead to some amusing story like, hey, remember when we burst into town and, and confronted that asshole that stole, you know, player A's boots and you know, mm-hmm. we all had a good laugh at the tavern. Like it'll be a thing and it'll be like a, often a bonding experience for the, for the party. Yep. Also another, another way to approach that. If they're, if they're going far afield and they're following up on this one thing and following up on this one thing, make that one thing lead back to your story. Oh, absolutely. Yes. All this trick in the book, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, and looky here, you know, um, you know, I mean, look at the thing that look at the things that your players want. You know, I want a Holy Avenger. Guess what? Guess where the Holy Avenger is. Um, now, there's another trick I've pulled uh, as a GM when I'm when I was just really realistic. I have no time to repair. Like when I was in the middle of moving uh, here not too long ago. Make this make the encounter something that the players have to figure out. I did this to uh, to my Newfall game. Uh, where basically it's like, okay, you guys have to figure out what your, uh, you know, what, what your, uh, what your tryouts are like, what's, you know, what are you doing? How's that going? Um, and the, you know, if you have your players buying in by this point, uh, you know, don't start a game that way, but uh, if you have your right. players buying in at that point, uh, that was some of the best, that was some of the best stuff that we had. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And that's the thing too, is that it's important to remember that, as I mentioned, like, about the players being responsible for the the game as well as that like mm-hmm. you know the players like if if as long as you have like the setting as long as you have the premise there as long as you have the general boundaries of the world and you know the rules then mm-hmm. uh, the players are going to create a lot of the content for you like in a way you're just kind of going to be refining what the players are doing like right. often they'll create the content for you they'll have things in their backstory they'll have mm-hmm. They'll have their motivations. They'll want to do A, B, and C. And a lot of that, in a sense, is kind of written for you. Now, obviously, that's a little hyperbolic because you have to actually do all the all that work and fill everything right. in. But the right. direction of the story and like a lot of the character relationships and stuff like that's just stuff they bring to the table. Yeah. And the important part, I think, there in all of this, you know, in getting a buy-in, getting the research done is at the end of the day, the players are the heroes. Mm-hmm. They're they're the protagonists you know, at least. Yeah, well, the protagonists exactly. They may not necessarily be heroic. <laughs> well, in their story, they're the heroes. That's the important part. Well, everyone's right. the, the hero of their own story. story. Exactly. So yeah, they have to make an impact on the world. Um, you know, they have to have this, you know, this presence that you know, I, and I think that's been a problem in a lot of the games that I've run into is you know. Um, suddenly you know you're following along with another story that's happening that that's a trap that a lot of early star wars games i was in fell into 
um, you know, is, you know, you were following along the, you know, the, the original trilogy. Sorry. Right. Um, a lot of Marvel games run into that problem. A lot of Marvel superheroes games run into that problem because you're playing the Avengers and, or, you know, this, that, and the other, which is why I like, you know, new Essex and new fall the way we've made them because they're the heroes. The players are literally the heroes of those cities. Yeah. That's another thing I would throw out there is, you know, even if you're playing, like if you're playing like a, like an adventure path or module, whatever, whatever the pre done thing is. And you're, you know, you're in your, you're playing in an official setting. Um, like <clears throat> you just remember that everything is supposed to be player centric and that they should be um, shaping the world, you know, and instead of just being pulled along to be like, you know, a supporting mm-hmm. role in some other story. And exactly. it doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be some, cataclysmic thing doesn't necessarily mean they have to save the world tm like you could have a small scale campaign like hunter is a great example of that because Mm -hmm. hunter can range from anything from like a small group that like you know meets behind a church every other week or whatever to like investigate potential monsters in their community and their city or even their neighborhood all the way up to like some global conspiracy of crazy shit with like government agencies and stuff and everything in between so you can shape the world as it were without shaping the entire world exactly Um, so just you know basically make sure they have agency that they 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 feel like they have an impact and um basically just encourage player um player interactivity whenever possible it's just one of the main and i think that's one of the things that mercer talked about in his uh early videos and i think that's just a fundamental thing that translates to any type of game or system or setting Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that's the, you know, and for me, that's why, um, I mean, Neil, you and, you and Mike have both played in Shirin, in Shirin or Eroth, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the thing about that is that uh, if you're creating your own world, which is a lot of work, let me tell you, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, there, there's a lot of work to it, but the trade-off is that the player's coming into it fresh are learning all of these things that they can't find anywhere else that they're only getting through what i call tribal knowledge through you know learning the world being in the world seeing the seeing the npcs seeing the gods um you know and seeing what that world's culture is like um you know and seeing how that world is different from everything that they expect yeah and that's a good um that's a good thing about the custom settings um especially if if you have someone who is um, interested in playing, but they don't necessarily know anything about that game system or even a particular setting within a game system, and then they can just, you know, uh, go into it. And I mean, that's a perfect example is my character in that campaign was literally transported via Oblivion Gate from the world of the Elder Scrolls from Tamriel to uh, Eroth. Mm-hmm. So the player didn't know anything about Eroth yet, and the character literally knew nothing because he just showed up. So it worked out perfectly. Exactly. Yep. And you know, ends up he's the he's the one remaining character from that first campaign. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and the, I think that's the thing I love about a uh, you know. Um, so that, I think that's another thing that as GMs that you're taking on a responsibility when you know. And yeah, it's it's a cooperative game. It's a cooperative thing. But as the GM, you're the storyteller. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you that falls under to me as a GM, my responsibility is to know things in, you know, that, that make the world different, that make the world unique, to make the world fun, a fun place for your players to, to walk around in, to make the adventures cool uh, to them, to make the adventures, give them stakes in it. 
um, you know, as far as that goes. And, um, but also, um, you know, to let the players develop their, their interests. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you like in the, in the first, in the first game, there were characters who just fell in love with the idea of the dwarves because they weren't there and they wanted to find, you know, they wanted to find them, find out what happened to them. I had to learn Dwarvish. I'm sorry. I had to learn Dwarvish. Exactly. <laughs> A language that had not been spoken for 700 <laughs> years, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and just it's I think that's the thing is that if you make your world unique enough and for me, I say learn a little bit, bit of in-depth medieval history. If you're running a, a D&D game, you might find something that you go, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, they do this on my world. Um, well, that's another thing too. another uh, boilerplate piece of advice to give to GMs or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, whether they be rookie or experienced is steal 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 yeah. all the things steal big <laughs> repurpose you know be inspired let books and tv shows and movies and whatever it is mm-hmm. let that inspire uh potential things and of course you can you can change those things it's not like you're just lifting things wholesale but yeah. those yeah. examples those ideas those can be great ways to come up with the beginning of a really interesting yeah. unique story and the reason yeah. i the reason i brought up supernatural earlier is because i started rewatching it because I'm oh, running yeah. a hunter game. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's perfect fodder. Exactly. Because I mean, yeah, I'm not going to use uh, everything. Heck, I might not use anything, but just it's so pretty much like it is the it like it, it, it's as close as you can get to a televised version of someone pl- of of just people playing <laughs> that game. Well, a great example of that is um, the road trip, right? If you have a thing where it's like, okay, they're going on the road to like you know track down something or research something, it's like. That whole show is basically one giant road trip um, yeah. for at least several of the seasons. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Um, and for me, I was a medieval history major, so that's why there was a lot, so much different about uh, about. Didn't they just call it history back then? <laughs> now we call it medieval history, um, but you know, but that was that was why you guys ran into certain things that were different. The you know, at first you didn't run into taverns, did you? Nope. Right. <laughs> You know, you ran into ale houses. Someone had brewed ale, which is a historical thing. Uh, you know, there were no forks in that world because, well, those were, you know, those are an Ambarian thing. That was, you know, those, you know, the, those pansies. Uh, forks, <laughs> knives, man. The knives and spoons, man. Um, so, you know, it, it's just those little interesting flares, just little details that can make a world fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah. Uh, so as a, as a, for instance, I ran an entire campaign based on three or four old modules that I completely repurposed to my world. Um, and I, I used white plume mountain, uh, and against the giants, uh, as my whole campaign fodder, uh, throughout the entire thing. And actually had it to the point where uh, players had, you know, sentient weapons that they willingly gave up yep. you know, at, at one point because that was, you know, that was part of what they had to do. Of course, if you know your players, you can also get them to willingly hold on to the shard, uh, <laughs> to the, you know, the shard of corruption, the evil shard of evil. Uh, well, that's another uh, good general tip that can apply to any game system or setting is, um, feel free to let the published materials inform you to mm-hmm. inspire you. Or if you're running one, that can be the basis for something. And then you can just change it as much as you need to. Cause sometimes okay. like I remember when I was first um, GMing, 
I thought to myself, like, okay, well, I could start with a published thing, a published adventure, and that'll be mm -hmm. easier. That's what everyone says, you know, like mm -hmm. that's what most people say anyway. And it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a way to get your foot in the door. But then when I started to do it, I'm like, this feels stifling. I feel like it's more work for me to make sure, okay, am I doing the thing right? Am I following the thing? Are the things happening when the things are supposed to happen? Like it felt more stressful to me than to just do my own thing, you know? Right. Now everyone's different and they're going to, you know, they're going to react to these things differently, but it was very counterintuitive for me because I actually thought it seemed more difficult because I was more worried about everything going off how it's supposed to go off. Um, yeah. So I would, you know, I would it, like it would give you good examples of stuff to kind of just like learn the rules and get familiar with it. But I felt like after I got the basics that it was actually easier for me to uh, I mean, I sort of use an established setting. I wasn't creating my own world, but it was easier for me to um, just do a more freeform thing rather mm -hmm. than following a, you know, a set adventure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, uh, you know, with that, you, you have all these, you know, you've got all these scenarios and go, okay, how can I use this? What can I change? Um, you know, how can, but also, I mean, surprising your players, so, you know, surprising the players uh, is, is a fun thing to do. Well, um, you know, they're going to surprise you. So you got to even it out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, return the favor. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, that's two of the big things is know your world and know your players because they're part of your world. Um, I mean, if I have to boil it down to those two basic pieces of advice, I mean, that's that's pretty much what it would be. Know the players, know how they're going to react, because uh, that's how you know what motivates them. That's how you get them to buy in, you know. Um, but also know if you have role players, R-O-L-E players, and when you have role players, R-O-L-L players. Because sometimes your whole table is, you know, is a bunch of people who just want to fight. Okay, give them, give them what they want, you know. And if that's cool, if that's what you enjoy, if that's what they enjoy, and that's what you're at the table to do, mm -hmm. do that. Well, I like, the, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, um, my like the game that became the my the hunter game I'm running right now. Um, mm -hmm. What happened there was. Um, it was our Kingmaker group, but uh, two of our two of our players had to go on indefinite hiatus because real life is OP. Um, really needs nerfs, especially this year. But um, so we were like, well, we want to keep playing games. But our DM was also like, guys, I've been DMing a game twice a tw like four times a month for the last six years. I'd really like a break. So I was like, okay, I'll 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 run a game. And I said to what remaining players we had, okay, here are the games I am comfortable running. What would you guys like to play? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, and, and some people were like, I'm really interested in World of Darkness. I was like, okay, well, we can do that. I'm happy to run World of Darkness. Um, keep in mind, World of Darkness has a lot of talking, a lot of role play. Um, there can be entire sessions where no one picks up a die. Or in this place case, or in this case, clicks the button that says "roll a die." <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No dice hit the ground. So, I mean, and and if you're and, and if you guys are cool with that, because like our Pathfinder games have been very combat focused, because Pathfinder tends to devolve into move from combat to combat. I mean, it just that's just sort of the nature of the of the of the system. It's like it's not a not a negative if that's what you want to play. Right, um, right. But I was like, so you know. If we do this, um, I'm there. There's gonna have to. I I need buy-in from you guys for you know character and and role play and and etc. 
and they and they said okay and you know it, and like I said we've only had one session but I think it went pretty well um so I this think is it, why player uh, yeah. GM expectations are so important. Yeah. Like this is a perfect example of what we we're talking about earlier about setting the, yeah. the boundaries and setting the expectations, everyone agreeing to try yeah. a thing. And they and they had choices too. Like I, I was like, I could just run more Pathfinder. I did right. say I would prefer to not run Pathfinder because I'm starting to get burnt out on burnt burnt out on Pathfinder and D and D in general because yeah. it's all I've been playing for a long time. I was like, I can run Pathfinder, um, or I can run Deadlands. Because uh, I backed Deadlands, and I, by the way, I'm really looking forward to getting the physical stuff on on that Deadlands Kickstarter. I get a Marshall's awesome. badge. Um, yeah, the, and the books yeah. are great because I got I got PDFs of all the book and, books, and I'm getting physicals of all the books. Um, so For those not familiar, it's a Weird West setting. Yes, yeah. um, and Weird yeah, West, great... which is yeah, is is really great. Um, I was like, I can do that. I can run uh, World of Darkness. Um, there are a couple fate core games that I know that I could run. Um, we could, uh, we could run this, uh, game that a friend of mine wrote called red markets. Shout out to, to Caleb and red markets, uh, which is a game of economic horror. Um, essentially just because the zombie apocalypse happened doesn't mean you don't still have bills to pay. <laughs> it's just harder to make money because there's zombies. That's zombies. <laughs> Um, but they decided that, that 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 struck a little bit too close to home right now. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. So, but yeah, and, and when you look at it too, I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I, I you know, I think you're right. Is understanding what a game is going to be mm-hmm. about. Because yeah. in in um, you know in our hunter game, you know, it, um, we were at our deadliest. We we're no, we we're at our best. You know, I mean. Guy was never so scary as when he was talking to the right people, and you know, <laughs> and Doc McNinja was never so, was always his coolest right before a fight. I mean, you know, of course, we we were also the players who were who were genre savvy, and it could let us do that. So. We were wrong. Genre savvy was the was the best part about it. We thought we were in we were thought we were in a, we were in a standard horror movie, but no, we were in the world of darkness exactly <laughs> so yeah going into the going into the going into the graveyard you know joke you know quipping i mean and that made for some of the most memorable moments hang know? on let me go back to the truck and get another beer right i'm two weeks from retirement yeah, hurry it up i'm only a couple days from retirement <laughs> exactly exactly it was like what are you doing uh we're zombie we're calls trying, man you're zombie calls, man. <laughs> monster always attacks when that happens um but yeah and, and i think that was the i, I think that was uh, I think first time I saw Mike roll his eyes. <laughs> it wouldn't be the last. <laughs> no, far from it. But I mean, yeah, the combats were fun. But I think, like I said, the some of the best, the best moments when we were sitting there, just you know, not. I mean, um, I think honestly, one of my favorite sessions was when we got emissaries from all the local um, compacts, as well as. The van- as well as the uh, as well as a representative of the vampires, mm-hmm. and me acting as representative of the of the local werewolves, as like so we called you all here together to propose an insane plan. It was so it was tense because everybody uh, everybody around the table wanted to kill everyone else. Yep, and we had to prove to them that we could kill all of them. <laughs> You know, or we could, you know, potentially become a danger to them. But at least I mean, the, the whole cost benefit analysis thing. Exactly. Exactly. Was, yeah. 
and practical you know, monsters. I, yeah, practical monsters, and I think that was the one of the best parts is the monsters weren't just straight up monsters; they were built on their survival and i think that was a great part of your gming there mike was that you know you had the monsters that were smart you know like yeah this this makes sense let's not do the stupid thing here well, that's the other side of the coin right is we're talking about themes of the humans you know mm-hmm. being monster-like or potentially becoming monsters and it's this you also have the flip side of that and and wad and world darkness where the monsters yeah. can be like similar to humans i mean obviously mm-hmm. vampire is a perfect example of that because they um they can look uh, almost identical to humans in the right circumstances exactly. when they they use the blush, blush of life and make themselves actually mimic the human things temporarily like breathing and eating and yeah. drinking and whatever you know yeah so yeah and, it's interesting yeah and the moments when i think we were the scariest were not in combat you know and i think that was part of the theme of that was being the things you know being the thing that uh you know the things that the that the monsters fear you know that's another thing too is that um to to go to some more general advice is uh, when it comes to gming is try to make especially when you're new to it and you have a lot of experience you have to think about okay like what's a way to present this um when you're not actually in a fight that has immediate obvious stakes like how do you get people invested and how do you get them how do you get that emotional connection with their characters and stuff when it's not an actual like life or death thing in a way there can be things that are worse than life or death because you're talking about like mature um you know potentially cerebral games like world of darkness you're talking about like people's identity and their souls some literal and metaphorical so it can be things that people fear more than death like becoming a monster uh living a pointless life whatever it is right because you could have some you could have some hunter that you know they fight the good fight and they die when they're like 30 or whatever. And you can have someone who just kind of like, you know, just kind of acts like a weasel and doesn't really do anything significant. And they die when they're 80 and they've lived a shitty life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, the day after Duncan's first chain change, he went out and bought guns and loaded silver bullets for all of his friends. It's like, so if I ever go mad, I need you to put me down. <clears throat> It's like the Batman contingency plan for all the heroes going rogue. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and at that point, he always carried a gun mm-hmm. that he was only ever going to use on himself. Right. Well, and, <laughs> you know, at that point, that's where, well, actually, no guy was already carrying silver. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> it also helped that we had someone who was who was filthy rich in that game. This Wasn't that you? Yes, it was me. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, guy had a bookstore, you know, and I love. Yeah, the- I was a concierge. I was a concierge doctor to someone on the Gold Coast. Right. Uh, <laughs> guy was rich in information, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guy knew this. Knew the things. You know, you ran a bookstore. I love that the bookstore ended up becoming the Bat Cave. <laughs> right. You know? With a literal giant penny. Yes. Somebody <laughs> had to get that. I had to have us have a giant penny. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and it, and that I think that was there. <laughs> that was Mike letting the players build the game. Um, you right. know, as far, as far as that goes, you know, we didn't have to go to something that you created. You know, you let us build our, you know, build our home, you know, our home base. Uh, you let us, you know, create all of the things there that were. Because to this day, this is that was one. You know, that's still one of my favorite, most quotable games. Uh, you know, most quoted games. Uh, <laughs> you know. 
Um, and it's, you know, it was, there was a lot of freedom there. Guy went from being a wimpy, you know, a wimpy, uh, you know, bookstore owner to being, you know, one scary mofo. And, and then, you know, Duncan went from, you know, martial arts doctor to martial arts doctor werewolf. Uh, you know, we ended up with magic in the game, um, you know, and then, you know, then there was Allison, you know. Except for except for uh, you know uh, except for cycle uh, cycle fuckwad, uh, I have all these things, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, it just it, it created all these you know cool dynamics because at the end of it, uh, you know, Guy and Duncan had been the you know like the core of that crew. So yeah, we kept secrets. <laughs> well, I think didn't the we, thing didn't is... we have like three safe houses that only the two of us knew about. We had three safe houses, but there was one only we knew about. <laughs> yeah, it was compartmentalization. Is bleh, I can't talk compartmentalization. Yeah, sure. but I think that's that's another one of those general pieces of advice, and because that's the thing is like we can tell these stories, and then it just kind of like it's a light bulb. Where it's like, oh, okay, well now I know the thing to mine from that story too. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> and that what it was what you were saying about um, about letting the players kind of like drive some of that stuff and like the customization or whatever because it's like you know i could be like oh well according to this this is the most optimal way to do a hideout or blah 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 blah. like but that's boring i'm like all right well if you want to turn the bookstore into a mega bat cave bunker type (laughs) thing sure go for it like let that be the thing you know why not you know say say yes as long as it's within the realm of reason and people are playing fairly with one another say i loved all the bullshit that we did with uh with our first safe house we uh (laughs) We we installed salt licks at all at all the uh, the all at all the portals so that there was always a light of salt at the door at each door and window. Right, right, uh, <laughs> right. Well, didn't have to re-pour it. <laughs> right. Well, and the other thing that I love, I love about that about that particular game is how Mike you co-opted something that guy was doing and made that the whole point of the game. <laughs> you know. I mean, like agreement between the the factions yeah the protectorate i mean it was just like suddenly it was like oh oh hey this is the thing this is no longer a side quest right <laughs> you know which is what you're talking about you know what is what we were talking about earlier is yeah. you know if the players are on this thing you know take it use it yeah have fun with it mm-hmm. you know? and if your game is open and then like I think one of the one of the things that that actually allowed allowed you to do that was that I don't like I could be wrong, um, but it didn't seem like you really had like an end point in in mind. It was a okay, here's the open here's the open ended sandbox. Go play. Right, uh, you're 100 percent correct, and that's one of the things that always bothered me about old school Vampire the Masquerade was it's like oh hey you can live forever oh but you know Gehenna is going to happen in like 10 years or less so GG and I'm like wait what no that well, doesn't have to happen in 10 years or less it happened well, no. it, it, but that's the implication the, the 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 thing I always liked about old school Vampire the Masquerade is the constant fear of Gehenna right like I like how there that's the uh, the the uh, the sort of driving background tension because even the vampires aren't getting out of that one uh, out of that one unscathed yeah Uh, (laughs) vampire ragnarok it just can't and it it doesn't ever have to happen in the game right um it's you can very plainly just ignore it just uh, you can subtly drop hints at it every every once in a while just to ratchet the tension up a little bit Mm -hmm. well and that's the other thing too is that like there's Gehenna as a metaphor where it's like, 
you know, Gehenna may not really be a thing. I mean, it may never happen. It may just be a superstitious or religious type belief within uh, kindred within vampires, but mm-hmm. you could have practical things that are happening for real that are verifiable that may as well be Gehenna. Like there's modern, no such modern thing technology as into the Luvians. Yeah. Mo- modern technology ramping up to such a point that vampires really can't keep themselves hidden anymore, and it's only a matter of time. And that's that's a Gehenna by default. You know, you're people running around with uh, all these cell phone cameras and surveillance yeah. and instant global communication and crazy military weapons and even civilian available weapons. And it just, it comes to a point where it's like, all right, well, this isn't, uh, this isn't uh, torches and pitchforks and, uh, right. and like <laughs> messages by horse anymore. Like right. if you're not, you know, if you're not a, if you have the slightest slip up, not mm-hmm. only will you get dusted, but everyone you've ever known will get dusted. Exactly, because the peasants are going to show up with flashlights and shotguns. And, you know, we learned how powerful a shotgun could be. (laughs) Indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, and and, um, I think that also, uh, oh God, there was something that that brought up for me that I meant to say. And as soon as I go to say it, it completely slipped my mind. Uh, (laughs) um, Oh, snakes. That's the thing. Uh, It's like with, you know, like like you were saying. mine medium rare. Uh, I prefer mine oak. Um, and uh, so, you know, like in the, in the, uh, in the Hunter game, we were based solely in Chicago. We had no concerns outside of that. And that's the game that we've continually come back to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is that, yeah, our, our, the stakes were, were monumental for us, but not for the rest of the world. We were having an impact in Chicago. Well, effectively, the city of Chicago in the world darkness was your world. So exactly. It's the game of semantics at that point. Exactly. But I mean, it didn't have to be world ending. It didn't have to be, right. you know, you know, we didn't have to be jet setting off to Europe or anything like that. We just were, you know, uh, it was what was going on was there and it was important to us. And yes, and that became our world. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's. It's all about that, the player's orbit. If you're playing a D&D game, you could have some town or kingdom or whatever that could be effectively their world, even though it's not the world. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that first that first Eroth campaign, you're looking to protect one little hamlet, one little, you know, one little barony, <laughs> you know? Yep. But then it, you know, um, then it turned into something world, you know, world bending. Um, but, you know, and then in this in the second campaign, you know, it turns out what it really was about was you know uh was two brothers trying to save each other and the rest of the party trying to keep them keep them alive <laughs> you know you know keep them from keep them from damnation i mean that's that was the that was really the crux of that campaign well we're just uh we're just about out of time yeah, we yeah. Have, uh, what final thoughts do we want to get i'm sure this will be something that we revisit and expand upon future episodes oh, but for now series yeah we could talk about that for a bit yeah um I think it's worth it's worth just doubly reiterating. Make sure that you have like that you have a buy-in from your players if you're if you're running a game, and if you are playing in a game, um, make sure that you have like make sure that you are that you are playing in a game that you are willing to buy into. Yeah. Like I know a lot of the, a lot of this was 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 uh, was GM based, but at the same time, um, from a player standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be like, if you're not, if the if the game that you're playing, you're not willing to uh, to buy into it, then you probably shouldn't be playing that game. Right. And I think for me, at the end of the day, 
player, GM, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the real test uh, that we're all that we all have to be ready to try to pass is: Did we have fun? When we get up from the table, the last dice is bounced, the minis are put away. Did we have fun? Because like Ronan and I have very different styles. Mine is very lighthearted. Ronan's is very, you know, is very fast paced and you know hard. Uh, you know, intense, intense. Yeah. Very fast. That would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Very fast paced and intense. A lot of things happening. Uh, yours was very laid back, but still intense, you know? Um, and, but at the end of the night, when we got up from all three games, you know, we still had fun. And I think as a GM, that's, that's really the end goal is a cooperative fun, you know? Right. You know, do you want to go, uh, you want to go next? Or, I've, I've yeah. said my piece at this point. Said I your think. Piece. All right. Yep. All right. Then I'll, I'll have my little final thought then. Um, I, you know, of course, reiterate what you just said there, Ben. And um, that's the thing to keep in mind, um, especially if you're new to GMing is uh, that is the, uh, that is the core thing is did, uh, did the players have fun and did you have fun because you have to, or else you will not be a good GM. Um, then you succeeded. And it doesn't matter how many errors you made or whatever it is, you'll get better over time. But if everyone had fun and they want to keep doing it, then good, you're a success. Don't don't beat yourself up about not getting everything perfect, especially if you're just getting started. And um, I think a good example, and um, I like to use this one because this is one that we, all three of us, uh, participated in together, um, was um, when we had the, um, when we had the like weird, like, um, secret society mansion party thing towards the end of the campaign where you guys were kind of like babysitting the prospective hunters um, that the church of the long night was looking into Mm -hmm. like that was um, there was either no roles or like a few roles the entire night, but everyone was so just like bought in and so into it that it was just ridiculously fun and interesting uh, and that was just kind of a, you know, it was a playground within a playground. It was just kind of a um, open-ended thing. I had general ideas of like the layout and who was there and what might happen, but I didn't have anything all plotted down. I wasn't trying to tug you in a particular direction. Right. And you, you, your play, your your characters just kind of, you know, did what they did and just kind of um, reacted how they would and prioritized what they would. Um, and it was just there's a lot of humorous moments and a lot of interesting moments and. Oh yeah. It was just it was just a really cool example of that and I think that's one of those examples where you can be like okay well if you have a group that is comfortable with each other and has played together for a while mm-hmm. then you can do that. That's one of those like aspirational things where it's like hey you don't have to have a lot of you don't have to have a lot of fancy like you know grids or minis or whatever. You don't have to have a lot of like artificial things to a lot of shinies, right? Right. And that's the core of the whole thing is that it's like basic, um, instinctual people gathered around the fire telling each other stories kind of thing, which is why no matter how advanced technology gets, no matter how things may change, um, this tabletop role playing or just role playing in general, um, will always be a thing that people have interest. It, it can ebb and flow. There's trends, there's games that get more popular and less popular and whatever, but it will always be a thing that people do because there's just a there's just a base human need to do it yeah to to congregate to tell the stories you know and that particular one yeah that was some of the most fun we ever had there was no fighting involved but we were just we were there just being clever 
<laughs> yeah, know? and that's the thing too. Is a lot of the conflicts when it comes to the conflicts involved is a lot of them aren't necessarily fighting another creature or force or whatever. It's mm-hmm. it's you know you know it's like when you look at when you've had you know like the Joseph Campbell hero's journey or whatever and the the basic stuff you learn in school the different types of conflict and everything a lot of it is going to be like man versus self and all that kind of stuff you know it's like there's a lot of interesting um a lot of interesting conflicts that are internal and a lot of that was like okay those conflicts are like can i keep my ego in check can i can i resist the temptation to do this can i can i not let my anger overwhelm me can i you know, can I forgive this person? Can I, you know, any number of things. And that was the interesting thing about that is it was this weird tension where you had characters that were um, (laughs) ostensibly the good guys who were hunting monsters, but they would use questionable methods. And they would have people that would be either part of them or be associated with them that weren't necessarily good people. They just had the same goals. And a classic example of that is the Rachel character because... She is arguably one of the biggest monsters there because she was just all about being a hedonist and doing whatever she wanted to do. Right. And she had some scruples, like she was loyal and she was brave and stuff. But at the same time, like at the end of the day, she was just in it for the thrill of it. And she was the quintessential um, Ash Ashwood Abbey member who was just like, hey, I'm here to do strange, exotic shit meet new interesting creatures and kill them. And I'm just in it because I love doing this. It's not about saving the world or being a good person. Right. Cause her, yeah, her good times have usually involved, you know, a machine gun. Yeah. So I had a, I had a lot of fun um, playing that character because she was a quintessential example of that theme of it being ambiguous as to what it means to be a monster and who the monsters are. Right. Yeah. And we, and we were, we tried to be the good guys, but yeah, we did some, you know, I mean, we got that one guy drunk off his ass and made him do stupid shit. And his- <laughs> <laughs> I made friends with a drug dealer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that was just guy doing it for his own entertainment, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and, and there you go. And that's the thing is that like, you know, he had moments that were watered down Rachel moments in a way, right? Like he would just do things because he wanted to do them. Yeah. I mean, well, I have to have a- a candles in the wind retrospective episode at this point because we've been talking a whole hell of a lot about it and i don't think anyone's getting these references other than us yeah well i mean in the in the first in the first episode you know when everybody else is trying to talk and guy walks in and shoots it you know shoots a motherfucker yeah <laughs> you know it's like you know screw this <laughs> that, that'll that'll need to come next time because it, it it is about that time and about about that time i mean we need to we need to go ahead and finish up Right. Did you have did, did you have a did you want to finish a thought there, Mike? No, I think that was pretty much it. Just kind of uh, like I was saying, the uh, we can wax poetic about that. Game in, for a while. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much covers it. All right. Yeah. Well, everybody, this has been Neil, the one true man, and Mike. We'll talk to you next time on Geek Fanthology. This podcast is a production of Working Theory Productions. It was brought to you by the letters GM and the number Rule Zero. Opening theme is Ultra Mega Hyperstorm and ending theme is March of the Mind, both by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this podcast or know someone who would, please consider sharing it on your social media, sending us an email, leaving us a comment, liking us on Facebook or on Spotify, rating us, you know, subscribing, hitting that bell, anything that, that, uh, that supports the algorithm. 
If you really enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation. Either a one-time donation on our website at www.workingtheoryproductions.com or a reoccurring one on Patreon at patreon.com slash workingtheory. A final thought. I really didn't actually say much in this episode. Oh well, that happens. Plus there are episodes where, I, where I'm the only one who talks, so turnabout seems to be fair play. <laughs>